This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello there. That's my big bopper impersonation. And welcome to this big interview highlight show where we're going to look back on the first season of the podcast during 2015-16 and pick out a theme to see what our guests had to say about it. This time, it's the city I call home. And I have been known to write a book about the football team. But I promise you that when the topic of Barca has arisen on the big interview, it's normally been at the urging of my guests. So today, we look back at what some of them had to say about this modern FC Barcelona team. One which at various points in its evolution has been properly called the greatest team in the world. It's a reasonable title for a book, that. You're going to hear from players who faced Barcelona pre-Guardiola. For example, Damien Duff was part of Jose Mourinho's first Chelsea team, playing against Frank Rijkaard's evolving Barca in the Champions League. What he has to say about it brings back memories of what has become probably the modern European vendetta. From Darren Fletcher, we hear about what it's like to not play against Barca, but instead to watch and to wish that you were in a Champions League final to boot. There's David Moyes, who beat Barca as manager of Real Sociedad, causing something of a Camp Nou crisis at the time. He'd tell us that the key to victory is not stopping Messi, but Iniesta, Gordon Strachan, now Scotland manager, then Celtic manager, will add further weight to the argument that that Spanish midfielder, not the Argentinian forward, is Barca's jewel in the crown. Gary Neville, on the other hand, rates Messi so highly that he's got an armoury of phrases, some of which he reserves only for this little footballing genius. <sighs> Gary explains it better than I can. But first, back to the idea of playing Barca pre-Pep. Jody Morris, what a fantastic interview he gave us, was meant to be marking Guardiola, but ended up pitching himself against some kid called Xavi in the quarter-final of the 2000 Champions League. Xavi. Whatever happened to him? Take it away, Jody. The epic that I remember that I wanted to have been desperate to bring up is features Xavi and features Pep. Because at that stage I'm reporting a lot on Chelsea and you, you've had one hell of a Champions League campaign. Luca really trusts you. You're playing a lot. You've played yeah. a huge amount of Champions League football in 1999-2000. Yeah. And um, you've dealt with Milan, which I suppose player of your ilk. Dealing with Milan, no big deal. Lazio, come and win at the bridge, but you draw Barcelona. Yeah. And it's Louis van Gaal. It's funny how these names keep cropping up, but Louis van Gaal's Barcelona... And if I remember it correctly, I mean, it's a blitzkrieg game where Chelsea rip into a sort of fairly ragged bus hunter who could really, really play and were full of stars. Didn't dominate the ball, I don't think, as much as they do now. And if I am correct, you sacrifice almost all of the things that make you exceptional, use of the ball and time on the ball and what you might change the direction of a game, to swallow up 
Xavi Hernandez. Yeah, it was kind of a, a weird one because it wasn't meant to be Xavi. We thought it was Guardiola, um, but he pulled out injured or something. But we, Luca felt that he was going to be fit. So anyway, when the team was announced, it was obviously I was playing. To be honest, I wasn't too surprised. As I said, I felt I deserved it the way I'd played in the league and stuff like that. But the fact that it's Barcelona, you do have to kind of pinch yourself on it. Their front three was Rivaldo, Cliver and Figo. So yeah, outstanding. And I'd never heard of Xavi at the time. But he pulled me to one side and said, look, it's not going to be Guardiola, but the person that's playing instead of him is going to be just as good. It was like he went... I don't know whether he knew that at the time or whether he was just trying to keep me in. You need to prepare for this guy like he's Guardiola, so like to keep me in it. But I was like, yeah, I haven't heard. He went, no, he's a Spanish under-21 international. He's class. He does exactly the same things and you need to play all the build-up, the two days going into the game. You need to play exactly the same. And So obviously there's one part of me because I always loved Guardiola. As I said, the Barcelona teams that I remember watching, I always remember Baquero but. Oh, Little midfielder, one touches yeah. and all that. But then Guardiola was a bit after it, and I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have played against Guardiola. But you're then thinking, right, who's this Chavi fella? Yeah. <laughs> Little do you know, he's probably surpassed Guardiola as, as a player. But yeah, I remember playing. I had to do a man to man marking job. It was literally wherever I am when we lose the ball, it was still fine on it, but wherever I am when we lose the ball, I need to just attach myself to Chavi. And he didn't play much that night so I suppose that it's, it was good on my point it was a little bit weird for me as I said I wasn't used to playing I've never ever done a man-to-man marking role in my life but I think Luca had trusted me as far as that I would do it I would think of the team more than I would think about my own game and think, I love that and yeah as I said it, it was on a night where the lads done great as a, as a team and to beat Barcelona 3-1 at home for a team that's first time in the Champions League it was a special night Okay, with care. You signed for Chelsea and uh, along comes Mourinho and you turn up at the camp now. I had just moved there and I needed my freelance revenue and uh, put the team that I was covering most out of the Champions League and it was quite dramatic and you were quite central. Can we talk about those two games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the way I remember that game is Barcelona, still very fledgling, Rijkaard are completely outplayed and out-strategised as well. So, I don't know what the manager had said to you beforehand but the way the game tilts, for those who didn't see it or maybe are younger, is that I think Carvalho puts a lovely ball down the yeah. right channel for you. You're away. You show Gio Van Bronckhorst not only clean heels, but all your clean washing and centre it. And Belletti puts... It's your I was goal. claiming that goal. It's your goal. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I was there. It's the first time I've ever nipped yeah. you anything yeah. quicker than you. Yeah. It was your yeah. goal. Of course it was. And Belletti says that too. You're 1-0 up. And then somebody puts a quite a dangerous ball in from the wing. It was me, yeah. yeah for Drogba to send off, yeah. yeah. For Drogba to flat out assault Victor Valdez. Now, <laughs> I'm only being provocative. And he gets sent off and it's a big old row and Jose Mourinho says at the end of the game, Frank Rackard went to the referee's room and whatever. How did you guys as a team, as a group, build up to that game? What was it like approaching the camp now for the first time? First time, yeah. And the tactics and the strategy and the idea... And at 1-0 up, what was the feeling? You know, this is as the boss. Tell me the whole... Bring me inside it. Epic to be game. fair, I can't and remember. You know, it's go- you know it's going to a very good part two yeah, for you. Eh? Um, you know what it's going to end up. To be fair, uh, Mourinho wanted Barcelona. And we all thought, oh, he's fucking crazy. Like, we were <laughs> flying back from, I think, Moscow. They were in a group. Maybe we just topped their group. And the lads were just having a bit of crack with him. We're like, who do you want in, in the second round? And he goes, Barcelona. And we were like, are you for real? Like... 
And he goes, no, no, simple. We stopped them playing and they let us play. And it was as simple as that. I remember leading up to the game then. I think we lost in the FA Cup to Newcastle a couple of days beforehand. 1-0 maybe? Yeah. Uh, up there? Yeah. yeah. I had a knock. I remember him telling me I was playing, but I remember him playing a few mind games with the press. He named a totally different team. And he goes, I'm going to do this later. He pulled me aside. You are playing tomorrow, but I'm going to give them... I think he said Good Johnson was playing ahead of me. So when he did name the team on the TV I started believing then I thought maybe his idea is playing so then I thought why are you I'm not playing <laughs> so I kind of had to wait 24 hours for him to name the team and yeah lo and behold I was in it yeah for me like every young child you talk about teams in England but to go and play in the new Camp like dreams come true stuff and that was probably the start of the rivalry that I guess still goes on to, it's quite epic it's, yeah, it's been, it's been it theatrical on. it's been yeah. so and it probably all started that night with the sending off, the uh, frisk, the dressing room stuff, which like we didn't even know what went on. We're just reading I, it in the. I'm not the trying page. to drag you into that. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. if I look at it now, like, because you always hope, he genuinely hope, like, three, there's three journalists in this room or communicators in this room. You genuinely hope that you call things accurately. And the first booking, I think, you know, it's one of those. Yeah, it may be or whatever. One booking, it doesn't matter that much. Second booking, the ball, the your point of view is more important than mine. But it looked to me as if the follow-through meant that in most times, you're going to get a yell for that. I mean, no, no, no. you wouldn't be the first to tell me I'm wrong, so don't be slow. Um, yeah, I remember. Was it two yellows or did he give him a straight two red? Yellows, two yeah. yellows. Oh, listen, yeah, I'm obviously biased, but I remember back in the day, yeah, we were like, how can you send them off? And to be fair, like I call it the dark arts of the game. Maybe other players don't know it so well, but... It was a Valdez in goal. Yeah, it was, yeah. And he's rolling around like he was being shot. Like, I think you have to do it nowadays. If, like, I see Mourinho, if a player didn't do that, he'd have a go at him then. That's the way the game is gone. It's just a small detail. Yeah, be, be wise, be streetwise. Yeah, he's probably caught him a little bit, but that Victor Valdez has been streetwise. You look back at it, and it's still quite a flawed bus on a team. They haven't reached maturity they haven't fiddled around with certain parts that need to. Maxi Lopez changes the game. That tells you yeah. something. Because Maxi yeah, yeah. was never really yeah. that much of a footballer. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And so there's a bit of bad blood. And the first we hear of the Frisk thing is the media coming. Yeah. We go downstairs. And the press chief, I think, was Simon Greenberg at that city. He comes out, yeah. well, nobody from Chelsea will be talking. There's been an incident and we're in the half and off we go home. Oh, well, fair yeah. enough. That's okay then. And then comes, I don't know if it was a week later or two weeks or whatever. And so before we talk about goalkeepers again and. Carvalho for the fourth goal. Was that anger, those first sort of 30 minutes? Was it Barcelona's ineptitude? Was it better tactical planning by Mourinho? Because what was the adjective you'd reach for in that respect? A typhoon, a hurricane? You know, Barcelona were made for a chunk of time to look third division. Yeah, well, it was it three goals in 15, 20 minutes, I think. Uh, I was just going back to what he said earlier. We stopped them playing, which we probably didn't stop Ronaldinho that night. It was an incredible performance. I remember that second goal, the toe bog. I've never wait, seen wait, it before. Football, but it's not just that part. The little, the shuffle, little... yeah, the little shuffle before. <laughs> that, oh, that's incredible, that, yeah. You, never be they're always showing it in Sky Sports, and listen, you can't help but watch that game when it's on. But yeah, it was just, we believed. What can I say? Yeah, Barcelona, they were a world-class team then, but they still weren't a patch on what they are now. No. No chance of that. Yeah, it was just us believing. Mourinho was big on transition the minute you win the ball and I think two or the three transitions go- please because this is a word that gets used yeah, a lot it's getting hammered but, now in but, football no, yeah. but I'm not saying it's happening some punters will know what it means visually but yeah. won't know what it means as, a, as yeah. a phrase so yeah it was probably the first time I heard it was off him and that was 10-12 years ago so yeah. yeah it's simple It's if you lose the ball it's transition from 
attack to defence. Yeah. So running back quickly, recovery runs or sprints. And on the other hand, if you win the ball like we did in that game against Barcelona... Off Xavi. Xavi yeah, off Xavi. Nicked off in the yeah. middle of the... So it's transition from defence, you win the ball yeah. and exploding forwards quick. So it means also, it's not just your pace, it's mentally... Everybody's got to be like yeah. on their guard. That yeah. If the ball's won, everybody's yeah. doing yeah. something, right? Yeah. So it's just having that switch, I guess. I said it's such a buzzword now in, when you do, I'm doing my coaching badges, like it gets absolutely slaughtered and I, then I kind of hate using it, but I guess it's the best phrase. It and means that not, something. Yeah. It does yeah, actually yeah, yeah. practically mean something, yeah. which is you defend yeah. the phrase. Yeah. Then, yeah. And, and that's why I wanted you to explain it, because I think that one of the things that Sky, and I mean Sky, yeah. has helped us in Britain and Ireland to do as punters, is to talk about football a little yeah, bit more intelligently. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of very good ex-pro analysis yeah. which reached a, a, a peak with Guy Neville and yeah. Jimmy Carragher, in, in my yeah. humble opinion. Oh, but it also means that some people around you know, the football community, yeah. amateur football community yeah. will use the words because they've heard it and they know it's appropriate, but they might not know what it means. And I think yeah. it's useful to know what a word means. Yeah, well, that's when you do win the ball back. That's when teams are at their most vulnerable because they're not, I guess, in a defensive shape. Yeah. So the minute you win it, you're boom, you're gone. And like we steamrolled teams that year, you know, with just having that off to a tee, I guess. Like I could go through off the top of my head 30, 40 goals that I could remember, just win the ball back and go within four or five seconds. And yeah, he was probably the first. I said, I don't remember ever having that any, with any other coaches. Did they give you dossiers on your opponents? Yeah, every, uh, every game you'd, have, you'd go in on, say, the Thursday, the games on the Saturday, and there'd be a little, uh, little dossier on your, on your spot with, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight pages, a little paragraph on each player. And then just, just pictures of the movements that they make on, on the pitch and what have you. Just till I did that interest you bore you did, did you kind of go yeah boss I've read it or you know what? I'd never ask you but yeah I'd be a geek anyway so yeah I'd read it inside out and to be fair a lot all the lads took it and we'd take it away and if you're in the hotel the night before you'd have a little read it's just small details attention to detail uh, like I mentioned to lads at Rovers probably don't have Shamrock Rovers that yeah. is here yeah. and it's finance and time they didn't really do it but uh, yeah everywhere I've gone and coaches have took it on board I've always said that that's what Mourinho did they ended up doing it at Melbourne City I was there last year knowing your opponents if I've got it right in, in my mind right you know the Damien Duff goal is a 3-0 goal and I think there's you know, a big transition from I think it's Carvalho to Cole yeah Cole what a pass eh yeah, wait, I don't and think I had to take a moment, touch. Uh, what Joe does, because Caballo comes powering through, I think maybe nips off some of yeah, his toes, yeah. and it's a volley pass. From, yeah, from oh, it's incredible, it. yeah. I think it was up around his hip, and he's just stroked it, like, beautiful, beautiful ball. I don't think I took a touch, to be fair. It was just so perfectly weighted. And I remember I probably didn't help proceedings <laughs> on the night running over my mum and dad used to sit above the dugout I was actually running over to them but uh, when you look back it looks like I'm trying to dig Rijkaard out and, and the bench and I think it kicked off a bit in the sideline take but I was that actually, yeah, Bob, take that yeah but I was actually just running over to my dad you know so um, or at least that's the worst story will remain nah, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were never there were they, they were. I was there alright yeah you wouldn't miss that you wouldn't miss that Do we t- I mean is it just a waste of breath to talk was, was it Planned that Ricky Carvalho would block off Valdez and wait, wait, who took that corner? Me. It's so kind then. of your tie, isn't it? Between uh, the first goal and the sending off and the, you know, the, yeah, the three no goal and the corner. Um, it was a kind of. Yeah, so I remember the fourth goal was horrendous corner. I near enough hit the penalty spot and it was JT didn't get his head and it was going outside the box. I remember the minute I hit it, I was like, I oh my god. That because okay, maybe you didn't need to, but JT's completely. He's on his. It's John Terry. Yeah. He's on his own, yeah. and it's a massive leap. It's a, yeah. it's a beautiful yeah. header, however yeah. you describe the yeah. corner. I made it a good ball, but uh, again, 
Ricky Carvalho with the goalkeeper. It's just the dark arts, just streetwise, giving them a little nudge. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I expect... That aside from that passion to lift the cup and to play in that game and to fulfil a boyhood dream, the, the competitor in you and the analyst in you would have been looking at those two Barcelona sides. I'm leaving Moscow aside now because effectively you're a Champions League winner. I might ask in a minute how you feel about that, but the history books will always say, you know, Dan Fletcher was part of a Champions League winning squad. But analytically, I'm fairly sure you'd have liked to have done what Josie was talking about and set yourself about stopping what Alex said, you know, they'll kill you with your passing. And from my humble point of view, even if he listens to this, I think particularly in 2011, you picked the wrong team. You weren't available in 2009, so you couldn't rescind the red card. But boy, they got a lot of space in the two games. Now, I've followed Alex Ferguson's career closer than he has. And hear Alex Ferguson say, after Rome, that goal after nine minutes killed us. And that's the most atypical Alex Ferguson phrase ever. How can an Alex Ferguson team be beaten after nine minutes at 1-0? Mm-hmm. But it was because that team wouldn't really wouldn't give the ball back. And I think both in 2009 and 11, when we, we spoke a lot before Wembley, and I was convinced that he were going to make it and that he would make a difference. I think, genuinely, I thought, maybe you think it's, you're laughing at me now, maybe you think it's not your place to say it, but I think United would have been a damn sight closer to winning it had you been doing what you've just talked about, which was your art of making sure the good players can't play as well as they want to. That must be a separate frustration that you didn't get at. Test yourself against Xavi and Iniesta and Messi at their best and, and maybe beat them. No, I think in 2009, I think it was a big part of our game plan and the way we may not be in there, as I spoke about, being the one to set a tempo mm-hmm. and, and how we beat Arsenal in the semi-finals and how we, you know, we were relentless in pressing and, and getting against them and setting a tempo in the match. And... Um, I personally think we were favourites in that final. I know a lot of people won't believe it, but and going in 2009, I felt like, I think maybe that, not that we didn't respect Barcelona, but there was no fear of Barcelona at that time. And mm-hmm. I think that might have ultimately helped us go in and win the match. They weren't regarded as the great team as they were. They were on the, they were going towards that. That was almost like the game Agreed. that stamped it. Totally right. And we felt, I felt we would still win the game in without me. And I think the manager speaks about people not following the game plan to the, to the letter. And we might get away with that in other games, but maybe you don't get away with it in Champions League final. And he still holds true that the players didn't fulfil what was expected of them or what was asked of them in the game. And maybe we did change the style we would play because because I wasn't in midfield. And I think we did a little bit because we, we didn't really go to relentlessly press them and stop them playing as maybe we should have or could have. I regret it because I feel like I could have made a difference. Yep. I know people will laugh at that. No, I asked you the question and I'm yeah. saying it sincerely. Yeah. It's not praise because we're sitting no. across the table. I think if somebody can't see that, they don't watch football very well. Mm. Not just because of what you did or what Man United played like, but what Barcelona don't like. All right, we, neither of us can say you'd have won the game, you wouldn't have won the no. game, but if you even look at how the first goal comes, 
and the amount of room that a 60% fit Andres Iniesta has to run with the ball before feeding it to Eto. Again, from my point of view. Now, it didn't mean no harm as a freelance journalist in Barcelona for them to win it. So I'm not actually saying I regret it, but it sticks out a mile. Yeah, exactly. And we start the game so well. And, you know, in 2009, I was physically very, very, mm-hmm. you know, like powerful and, and box to box and stamina levels were very, very high. I was, you know, I'd started to get a bit of strength and, you know, not being the biggest physique in, in ever. And, and I could have, I could have done it for 90 minutes, pressed and, and closed down and harried and made it so difficult. And, um, the team was built to play that day. That's how we got to the final. You know, Carlos Tevez, Wayne Rooney, you know, they could run and press all day. We, we, we had the capabilities of doing it. But we didn't follow our game plan and, and we started the game very well and should go in the lead. But it's, it's true in the both games. For 20 minutes, we managed to be able to sort of impact the game. But over 90, we, we just couldn't do it. And ultimately, especially in 2011, they completely dominate and control the game. That's because I don't think I was physically able no, to do it in 2011. I've just come back from my illness, the first bout of it. And looking back, I was very fortunate to even make the bench. I think in your head you think you are. But looking back, I don't think I, I was physically at a point where I could have done what I'd have liked to have done in that final. In, 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 in life, you know, you've beaten the illness. It was a debilitating, depressing, horrible experience for you and your family. But you have beaten it. You're healthy, you're fit, you're young, you're talented. So rubbish though that experience was, you know, you, we move on and life is good. But if you look at 2011, if you look and say, my illness meant I couldn't have been the real Dan Fletcher on the pitch. So therefore, without saying you were a spectator... Tell me a little bit about because we I think I've never heard an outpouring of praise for a football match. Maybe with the exception of when I was growing up in 1970 for that game in particular. And Man United fans would text me or go on Twitter and say we were we were well beaten, no soreness, like almost like it was good to watch them. What what were the things about that side as you watched them? What was that experience of being close but not involved in that that? greatest team club team ever maybe that night at Wembley what what do you think of them that was the ultimate performance as well as the ultimate you know so you can have great teams but they put in the ultimate performance on the ultimate stage the Champions League final and they, they performed to the highest level I think they could and I think to, for the, the great team to do that on such an occasion I think it speaks volumes as well you know we get great performances they can happen in league matches they can happen in group stages of the Champions League but for them to execute in a Champions League final the way they did, we, we didn't lay a glove on them that night. We, we scored a fantastic goal. It's an unbelievably good goal, isn't it? I, and I think, I can't remember too many other chances apart from that. <laughs> and it took us scoring a fantastic goal to even to get a goal. And it was almost like, it's undefendable, the goal. I think if Arsenal even look at it, the move, 1-2, the way we scored, the finish, everything about it, that speaks volumes of the match that it took us scoring an unbelievable passing one touch move and an unbelievable finish to get one goal in the match when the rest of the time we didn't really lay a glove on them. I think it's reminded me of the 2009 discussion we just had because you scored a goal because of the brilliant... I can't remember who presses, but I think it's a Barcelona throw-in. And United press down your right-hand side and press and win it at pace, getting to the ball quickly, getting in, the ball's away, and then suddenly bish-bash-bosh and Wayne does to something beautiful. But, I mean... To me, that still says 2009-2011, had you been not suspended or fully fit in 2011, I can see in that little incident the difference it, it, it might have made. I was speaking to Abidal the other day who came through a, a similar experience to you in that you know he, he'd fought back from a tumour. 
he'd left a note to himself. I don't know if you know this. He played England at Wembley before he was diagnosed with his tumour in 2010, that season. And he, he, he said that they had a fad for doing that, the French team. They would leave themselves notes. If they were playing the Stade de France and they were going to be back there for a major qualifier or there was a big cup final, they would leave a note to themselves, tuck it away, see if anybody found it, like kids, really. But Abidal left himself a little note in winter 2010 when France beat England 2-1. Benzema scored and he went, I am coming back. This note is to you. I'll be here in May. And he went back and it, it had been tidied up. It had been cleaned. It had been taken away. But on that night, you, you wouldn't have been conscious of it at the time, but you must have been conscious later that Puyol and Xavi got together and said to the lads, we're going we're gonna to have Abidal the armband he's going to lift the cup because he's just beaten cancer. Maybe that sounds obvious to do, but to me, I think it's not, not a lot of people in football would do that. You can't get Platini or Blatter out of the trophy shop because they want to be still holding up the idiots that they are. But they were like, I tell you what, the greatest moment of our lives, let's, let's give it to the French guy. Yeah. You've been in dressing rooms all your life. What kind of, what does that make you feel like? What, what do you think of that gesture? I think it, it speaks volume for the, the the team that they had, the morale they had, what leaders they were. And, you know, to win the Champions League, to be captain, that's what you think about, to go and lift the trophy. And to give that up, everyone might say that's because they've done it before or whatever, but to give that up to someone, I think it shows the power of football. And I experienced it with my illness, about how people contact that you would never believe and wish you luck and think about you and, and ask you how you're doing in certain situations. And I think it puts rivalry aside, it puts winning stuff aside and it puts, puts somebody who's ultimately could have lost their life mm-hmm. and who's showed determination and courage to battle back and and then for his teammates to give him that honour to go and lift the Champions League for Barcelona, you know, I think it, it maybe speaks volumes of why they were such a great team as well because they had that respect for each other, they had great leaders with compassion and not only were they fantastic footballers, but to be a great team, it's your environment, it's your dressing room that drives you as well. You know, people, you, there's been so many great individuals, but they normally don't make a great team. Mm-hmm. And then having a great team means having a great dressing room. And all my time at Manchester United, we, we had a fantastic dressing room that they respected each other and drove each other forward. And I think you can see from Puyol and Xavi that they ran the dressing room, they ran the squad, they drove the squad to be the best. And then they also made the decisions that ultimately allowed Abidal to lift the trophy. I think that speaks volumes of them as people and also tells you why they were such a great team. Maybe we could close by talking about what was a turning point in your year, I think, because you arrived here and it was in a bit of a desperate situation. It was kind of grim weather-wise and you had a lot of work on your hands and then suddenly you popped up one of those results against Football Club Barcelona, who did quite well this season. Won the treble, set records made the world fall back in love with their brand of football. Rather than talking about the win itself, which hopefully this season you'll be able to experience again and against Madrid, tell me something about, as a football lover, being up close with Barcelona over the two games. What's it like? Is it an experience that you haven't had in any other competitions? At Manchester United, we got to the quarter-final of the Champions League and it was great. You know, We got to Bayern Munich and it was probably Bayern Munich were a really good team and have been under Pep, very good. We had got to a level which actually last year no other English club got to. And the reason why I talk about the Champions League is because Barcelona have probably in the last 10 years near enough dominated. If it's not been them, it's Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Now, Barcelona's style is, everybody knows, we talked about Johan Cruyff and mm-hmm. probably the start of, of that period. 
their style is completely different from MDLs. You know, even I think Bayern have got a little bit closer to it or a little bit towards it in a way with Pep. It's nearly a complete one-off. And actually, the majority of coaches and far better coaches than me have not been able to get results against them because you can't get the ball off them. You find it very difficult to put any pressure on them. When you do, they play round you. You play deep. They've still got the ability to score goals with individual talent they've got. So it becomes really, really hard as a coach to find a style, a way of beating Barcelona. So I've got to say, getting a result, coming up close against them was a chance to see what is it they really do. And strange enough, in the first game, we scored after, after a minute and then sort of somehow hung on for the rest of it. People forget that yeah. your, your goalkeeper, Geronimo, yeah. had one hell of a game. Yeah, he did. I mean, but if you're going to play Barcelona... <laughs> you're not going to have it any better yeah. you know yeah. ok and there'll always be a day when Barcelona lose games like any football team yeah. they'll never always win football games there'll be, a, there'll be a day somewhere but in the main the best players like Barcelona top clubs will win their games for me the big thing was getting close to Iniesta Iniesta never gave the ball away kept turning out of trouble any time we got him in trouble changed direction with the ball kept getting the ball back we could not get close to Iniesta and, you know, for all the things they talk about Messi and, and Suarez and all the people, and on the night, you know, they didn't all start the game. It was Iniesta who was the one who I thought, my goodness, this guy's something else. It was like training. Nobody could get close enough to tackle him. You've done something extraordinary. You've touched on an embarrassing subject for me because when he was coming through, he was just a subject you and Billy were talking about earlier today in the canteen. He wasn't really trusted until he was about 22, which mm-hmm. in retrospect seems mm-hmm. demonically mad. You could see he was a good footballer uh, when I moved over there and it was a budding team under record, but he couldn't score. So my stupidity told me, there's a player who does everything and then doesn't have an end product. And I mm-hmm. stopped seeing the things he was doing well. And Xavi, I revered, and Xavi still remains to me the, mm-hmm. the, the greatest ever Spanish footballer. Mm-hmm. But the people in opposition to me, starting with you, mm-hmm. Gordon Strachan, mm-hmm. who almost word for word made the same points as you and yeah. said, people talk about Messi and Xavi. I want them to watch Iniesta. And also Xavi. If you say to Xavi, You're the, he's not even mm-hmm. the best Spaniard at this club. Mm-hmm. It's Iniesta. You know, people who don't have your, your football training and your badges mm-hmm. and your experience, what is it we miss about Iniesta? I mean, I'm aware he's top, but to, mm-hmm. to put him in the pantheon you've just done... It's nearly difficult to explain. That's the bit about explaining Barcelona. Mm. You know, look at all the coaches. I remember the great battles with uh, Pep and Josie. Yeah. You know, probably about five years ago, we were playing against each other and two great teams, and they ended up drawing each other, I think, just about in every competition and whatnot. Josie trying to find a way of beating the Barcelona style. So going back to Iniesta, if you press them, someone else will take his space. He'd keep the ball off you in a telephone box or something. Yeah. You know, he was he was so good, his close control, his technical ability, how to shield the ball away from you when you when you come into him, you know, he'd get his body between you and the ball, you know, he would unbalance you at times, you know, so that he could go past you. When you come in fast, he'd play past you one touch round the corner. Every time he got the ball, I mean, I don't know what his past success rate in the night was, but to me I was thinking he's never given the ball away and he's there's lots of players who don't give the ball away and keep it. But what do they do with it? But he was always looking to play forward, trying to play into people. Do you class that as a form of bravery? I mean, in Josie's case, and I'll say this, you don't have to, but well, for Chelsea and Remarade, his idea was, I'll ask my player, I'll have a strategy, I'll ask my players to play to the top, but I'll also 
impose ourselves physically. Mm -hmm. We'll see if they fancy it. Yeah. We'll see if I can con the referee. But I'm not talking about physical bravery and the, the idea that Iniesta might take a kick in for the taking on of risk. Wanting the ball all the time, doing Definitely. things where if you're yeah. exposed and you have the ball ripped off you, your defence will be exposed and it'll be a goal. Mm -hmm. I, I consider that a form of bravery in Iniesta's play. Definitely. And that's where Barcelona will take that risk. Teams down again get a little bit of joy. You might nick yeah, it off them of now and again. But Barcelona do take that risk. I spoke to somebody, somebody in Spain when I came over and they said, hey, don't get carried away. You know What Pep done and what Barcelona done, uh, as they called it, ticker-tacker. It's not always in Spain. And I've got to say, no. what I've seen since I've been in Spain is not that I see one football club who are fantastic at it. I wouldn't say that I see that all around the rest of Spain. I see good football, good technical players, all comfortable receiving the ball, being able to handle the ball in, in most situations. But Barcelona's a one-off. Will that change maybe in, the, maybe in the time when maybe we've talked about Xavi, who's you know, an extraordinary player like Iniesta's, Maybe when Xavi and Iniesta mm. go, you know, when, when we're looking to maybe even, maybe even Busquets goes, you know, and you're looking into the likes of Ratatic coming in, and maybe even when Messi's time, will Barcelona still be able to have the quality of the player to do what they're doing at the level they're doing? It'll be interesting to see in the next sort of period of Barcelona's football history. Because people who, like you do, like I do, who we talk about football, we've seen a lot of areas, we've talked about a lot of good teams. Everybody's out there to find a way of stopping Barcelona at the moment. What way could we stop them? As is known, not many's found a way of it at the moment. Rather than talking about the club and, and the team, Andres Iniesta, are there things about his football that draw your eye? Are you a particular appreciator of him? And, and when you watch him, what is it you see in Andres Iniesta? What do you see? I see someone who's in love with the game. Someone who gets great enjoyment of playing alongside great players and watching great players and thinking they're great players and he's oblivious to the fact that he's up there with them. I think there's a humility about him. Funny enough, most people I talk to always talk about Messi. I drag them to Iniesta. I first really come across him when Celtic played um, Barcelona many, many years ago. I think Barcelona had been known as a top, top side. But it was the first time I think they'd been kind of live on British football and British soil against uh, Celtic and uh, I'm sure the midfield was Jaya Turi, Xavi and Iniesta <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had Paul Hartley Barry Robson and Ian Other in there I remember um, during the game Barry Robson saying to me what do you do? <laughs> we can't get them I just kept going we're just running about <laughs> trying to bat into one or two of them annoy them and after the game the guy came in with the stats and I've got to remember that when we played Man United, they had 340 passes. Benfica were something like 360. AC Milan, well, I don't know. Maybe around about the same. And he says, uh, I said, you've got the stats? He went, yeah, they had seven, just over 700 passes. I went, your machine's broken. I went, have a look at that again. <laughs> <laughs> but what they've got, and Iniesta's got, and I was trying to talk to kids now, that we will be able to pass the ball to a certain extent, British clubs. But when people get close to us, we do not have the ability... To beat people the way anybody in Barcelona does, especially in the Eastern midfield and Xavi. If you watch British teams playing, we'll pass to a certain extent, then we'll have a hopeful ball somewhere or a flick. It doesn't happen that way at Barcelona because they want to give you the best ball they can possibly give you to continue the move. And they're brave enough to be on the ball and beat somebody. I mean, anybody on the Barcelona side, 
to beat anybody at any given time in any space. We do not have that in Britain. People are looking for the answers and just, just have a look at it. It's quite simple, really. Use your eyes and you'll see it. It'll stand out that they can beat anybody at any time. But also get the ability and decision-making and when to pass it, when to beat people. I watched Barcelona play against Man City mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago and I sat with my two boys at 36, 32. And Messi was just incredible. I said to them, as you're watching this, Remember where you were when you seen this? Mm. We're all sitting together because we're now watching Messi, Magnificent and Joe Hart putting the best goalkeeping display I've ever seen on at the same time. And when you watch Barcelona, sometimes in a strange way it can get a bit tedious because it all seems that right, the same thing's happening all the time. There's nothing happening here. And then something happens every game that you've never seen. Yeah. Something will happen. Like Iniesta taking the ball, he's in 18-yard box the other day there. Turning somebody with his, his back to the opposite goal, beating three people, and the crowd building up, building up. Now the hard part comes after he's beat three, because it's quite an instinctive thing that. He's got a pass to make. I would say nine times out of ten, people are going to misplace that pass, because I've got excited. There's the final one, and that's the pass that counts to be a great player. And that's what he's come away with a pass that Neymar doesn't even need to break his step. <laughs> I, I, I actually think that. We live in a great age with everything, technology, whatever you want to call it. There's so many things going on here that you couldn't imagine 40 years ago. I'm also seeing things that I couldn't imagine in the football field 40 years ago. I didn't think football could ever get as good as this when I see some players play. Reaching for words under pressure, reaching for different grades of words, it's extraordinarily tough. If you're only coming out of a season calling back four or five phrases, three yeah. phrases, it's, it's, yeah. it's astronomically good. It, it, it is about, yeah, you're absolutely right, it is, it, it's where you're pitching it. Sometimes you can have a team that's absolutely fantastic, and you know, the amount of players I get heard called geniuses. <laughs> he's magic, he's a genius, yeah. he's a magician. No, he's not. There's nowhere to go from there. There's nowhere to go from genius, there's yeah. nowhere to go from magician, there's nowhere to go from... You know, there's, these words leave you no room for. So I watch I watch Messi play against um, Manchester City in the new Camp, and I was genuinely for the first time I think in my football career, I can think of maybe Ronaldo a couple of times at United where I was watching injured in two thousand seven eight where I was probably similarly mesmerised, but I was genuinely as a broadcaster the only time I've ever watched a performance where I've been genuinely mesmerised by a player was Messi for the twenty minutes before half time in the new camp against Manchester City. I was like, and I've seen him before, and I've seen him on the television, and you know, I've seen him live many times as you have, but I was genuinely thinking, this is as good as it's ever going to be. Yeah. This, this, I'm happy to use, every, I call it a scandalous, it's scandalous talent. It's out of this world, and people on social media will tell you, well, oh, you're, you're bullying him up to it. But you cannot go, that's the point where I just thought, I have to go for it. It's the only time. But once you've used that for him, everything else is below that. Everything else, every word, you know, you can't again go and call, you know, with respect, watching a player at Burnley Tottenham last week, you can't go and call him scandalous talent mm. or a genius because you've called Messi that. So I always like to think where I pitch things is relative generally through. And that's difficult. It is difficult to get that right, I think. How much do you get in life? that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life, and free. Yeah, the big interview. 
All of these, in their full form, and many more, are available if you search for The Big Interview on ACAST, that's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address, and if you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook, search for The Big Interview, and GH Podcast on Twitter, plus Instagram. Keep in touch, let us know what you think. More soon, baby.